Welcome to Fact and Fiction. I'm Natalie. This podcast brings you the best information and fun tidbits about a certain person's life. This week is Vincent Van Gogh. I'll be talking about his early life, artistic pursuits, his legacy following his death, and, of course, the famous ear story. He was born Vincent William Van Gogh on March 30th, 1853, in Groot Zundert in the Netherlands. His father was a country minister, and his mother was an artist who who's that love of nature and art and watercolors it all transferred over to her son also the moody part of that whole shebang got transferred to her son as well van gogh was born one year after his parents first child a son was stillborn and that child's name was also vincent so that's a little dark it's like okay we're gonna name the second kid vincent as well so Hopefully this one will have better luck than the first one did. And he wasn't stillborn, so kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But his name and birth date, his actual birth date, were on this other headstone of his brother. So that's that's dark. Imagine going to visit your what would have been your older brother, and then it's dead and it has the exact same name and birthday as you and that's that feels like it'd be some sort of like premonition or something that's really that's disturbing a little bit so that's how he grew up and he then had a younger brother as well but at the age of 15 his family was struggling financially and so he could not continue on with his schooling so he had to go go to work find work somewhere and he actually got a job at his uncle's art dealership, which was named Goupil AC. And it's a firm of art dealers. So already he's heading off towards the art world at the age of 15. And he was a very accomplished young man. He, at, by this time, he was fluent in French, German, and English, as well as his native Dutch. And that is four languages, which is three more than I speak personally. So that's that's really impressive. So he has a proclivity for languages which is pretty cool and he just he had problems from the beginning because he was very emotional he didn't have self-confidence and he just struggled a lot with figuring out who he was and what he wanted to do with his life and for a while he believed that he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps of becoming a minister but then he also has that artist streak running through him because of his mother. So that causes a lot, him a lot of internal conflict throughout his early adult life as he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, where he wants to go with his, his general direction in life. So that's a little brief overview of young, young Van Gogh with the whole name and birth date on a gravestone of his brother so and then he also has a younger brother who will become very 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 important later on cannot overstate the importance of this brother in his life so in june of 1873 um so van gogh was 20 at this time he got transferred to the gallery he had been working on this gallery and he got transferred to the gallery that was in london at the time and he just loved it over there. He was so happy over there. He visited art galleries and he read works by Charles Dickens and George Eliot. And he just, he loved it very, a lot. And he also fell in love with his landlady's daughter at the time, 
but she rejected his marriage proposal. So, and that was, that was really rough for Van Gogh to be rejected this time. He suffered a breakdown because of this and he threw out all his books that he'd been enjoying so much and decided I'm going to become a minister at this point. That's what he wanted to do. So he, he got really angry at this time and he would like tell customers cause he was still working at the art gallery. Like he hadn't like transferred over into actually working as a minister yet. He was just going towards that. And so he would get really angry at customers and tell them not to buy anything. So he got fired from that because he was obviously that was, it's really bad for business. If one of the people who works there is like, yeah, you shouldn't buy any of this stuff. It's, it's worthless. It's garbage. And so, yeah, he got fired. And then he went to teach at a Methodist boys school and would preach. And so he began to devote his life to the church. He began preparing to take the entrance exam to the School of Theology in Amsterdam. And so then he's like doing that. He's studying really diligently. He wants he wants this to work. He wants it to be a good thing for him versus his experience with the art gallery at this point. Uh, but... He refused to take the Latin exam, saying it was a dead language of poor people. And because of that, he was denied entrance to the school that he worked really hard to get into. But because he didn't want to take this one exam, he was completely denied. And then it happened to him at an, another time. So he's just not not batting a thousand, basically, with this. And so then some time passes Presumably he's doing something um, with this because there's not a lot of information about his time in this intervening period because now all of a sudden it's 1878 and Van Gogh has volunteered to move out to be to work with this coal mine out in Belgium. So He'll preach and take care of the sick, and then he would draw pictures of the miners and their families, and so he's out there doing that. But they people people didn't like that that he was do, he was doing this because they didn't like his lifestyle, which was kind of he was just very acted very hard suffering basically. So it people the evangelical community committees didn't like that so they refused to renew his contract and then so that was basically the end of his short-lived career as a minister so now by this point in time it's about probably about 1880 at this point in time and he's about almost 30 years old and he's worked in an art gallery for a while but then got fired because he was telling people not to buy art and not, then he went to go work as a minister, which he really wanted to do, but he was denied entrance into the official school and then he angered some people in the community with the way he acted, so then he was forced out of that position as well. So all of this leads him back around to being an artist himself, like his mother was. So in the fall of 1880, so he is almost a few, he's a few years away from turning 30 at this point in his life, Van Gogh decides to move to Brussels and pursue this idea of becoming an artist. And so he, even though he didn't have any formal art training, but this is where his younger brother comes into everything. His younger brother is named Theo 
and he worked as an art dealer actually and he offered to help out van gogh with finances and everything so van gogh goes to go hang out with his brother and everything so he starts taking lessons and studying art books to see what what the deal is with everything and he remained in belgium to study art determined to give happiness to other people by creating beauty in these works of art and that's exactly what he does later on. So, and the works of this early period of his um, artwork are somber toned. They're very clearly lit. They're genre paintings such as the Potato Eaters from 1885. So that's kind of what characterizes this early period of his production art-wise. And then... He also, in what goes to Antwerp and discovers the work of Rubens and gets interested in Japanese artwork at this time. And then in 1886, he goes to Paris to join his, because his brother Theo at this point is living in, in Paris. So he goes in 1886 to join with him because uh, his brother at this point was working as the manager of the gallery, this gallery kind of gallery chain that uh, Vincent has had worked for earlier. So now his brother is working for that. And so now he's heading off to Paris. He's been whirlwind all around Europe, and now he's going to Paris and going to hang around France for quite a while here. So he then studies with some other artists. He meets several famous artists like Monet and Gauguin. Um, and then having met these new Impressionist painters, he tries to imitate their techniques, but it doesn't really, he doesn't really like how his ones look because he tries to go for the lighter colors like they do and paint with these short brush strokes and everything, tries to imitate basically what they look like in this Impressionist movement because that's what was popular at the time. That's what was selling. But he's not really able to do that very successfully. So he develops his more unconventional style that we're familiar with today, the more bold, the darker colors, the more contrast of all of that that you can see when you look at his paintings, uh, especially the nighttime paintings, which he's rather famous for. So... Yeah, so this is kind of the beginning of this seed of what will become his style of artwork and his becoming of the artist that we all know and I love. Yeah, so that's kind of where he's going with this is tries to be impressionist, decides I'm I don't like being impressionist because I don't like painting like this and they're better at it than me, so I'm gonna have my own style, which was a very good, which is a very smart thing to do. Have develop your own style, make yourself unique in life. He did not. He was not lucky in love. This was partially because he was. He tended to be attracted to women who had some sort of trouble surrounding them because he wanted to be able to help them. Which, I mean, it's nice that he wanted to help people, but eh, can't really help everyone. So. And then, so he, we talked earlier about how he had fallen in love with his uh, landlady's daughter and that didn't work out when he was 20 years old. So later on in life, he fell in love with his cousin Kate, who was recently widowed and 
but she wasn't having any of that. She's like, no, you're my cousin. So she like leaves and goes to Amsterdam. And then he's really upset about that because again, another woman is rejecting him. And then he then goes, moves to the Hague. He falls in love with Klesina Maria Hornick, who had a lot of problems. And then, but she actually seemed to at least kind of love him back. They were together for a while, but then she kind of served as model for some of his some of his work and stuff. But then that doesn't work out, and she leaves again. And then he becomes really, really depressed after that. And in moving back a little bit, uh, his he had to he wound up in 1882 he wound up having to leave um the place he was living in the hague because of his family's threats to cut him off so he leaves in mid-september of that year to go to an area in the netherlands and then for the next six weeks he lives a nomadic life moving throughout netherlands while drawing and painting the landscape and the people that he sees while going through that and his art actually helped him to stay emotionally balanced during all the this these tough times that he is going through in terms of both financial and uh, his career and his personal relationships. So his art is kind of always there. And in 1885, he begins work on what is considered to be his first masterpiece, which I mentioned earlier was The Potato Eaters, which is characteristic of the earlier kind of style of his work. And then, again, Theo is in Paris, so goes off to Paris, and he's there for a while, hanging out with the Impressionists, and kind of inspired by that. Um, And then he's working with all these other people during this time on his art, even if they he's not really the same style of art as i mentioned earlier because his art veers away from impressionism and more towards his own personal what he wants to do because he's just not great at copying the impressionism and why should he be he's his own person so and his friend instead of hiring models um in order to save money, he and his friends would actually sit for each other as the models, which I think is a fun story. I like to imagine all these painters sitting around and be like, okay, sit there, like exactly like that. Now stay there for like two hours. Don't move. And that's what I imagine going on. And then the other one's trying to paint at the same time. It's like, I have to move. I have to paint you. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I like to imagine. But Van Gogh was a very passionate person and would tend to argue with his friends, these other painters, about their works. And this caused problems for some people, some his relationships with some of those people because they got tired of his constantly arguing with him about their work because, again, like they'd be more impressionist and he'd be more like off doing his own thing. So caused some problems. But Van Gogh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he had gotten interest in Japanese art and the like. So he became very influenced by that and began studying Eastern philosophy to enhance, just to make his life better. And he really wanted to travel to Japan, but obviously that's really far away, especially during that time before modern airplanes and the like. So couldn't really do that, wasn't really feasible, especially since he didn't have a lot of money, especially not feasible for him. So he was told by a friend that the light in the in a village of Arles um, 
which is in France, uh, is just like the light in Japan, which I don't know how true that is, but that's what he was told, and he believed it. So in February of 1888, Van Gogh gets on a train and heads to the south of France to this village to see if the light is as good as it says and just to try his luck there because he hasn't had a whole lot of luck in all these other places he's lived in his life. He's been all over the place to England and France and Netherlands and um, Belgium, all these different places. Can't really find a place to stay. So figures, what what the heck, might as well. I'll go try this other town just to see what it's about. So he moves into a Little Yellow House, air quotes around Little Yellow House, and spends his money on paint rather than food. Because that is a smart idea. Because who needs food when you have paint? can't eat paint well i mean you can but don't do that do not do that so he lived on coffee bread and absinthe and found himself feeling sick and strange that would be the absinthe vincent that would be the absinthe stop stop drinking absinthe please and before long it became apparent that in addition to this physical illness caused by the diet of coffee bread and absinthe uh, he was having pro- mental psychological health problems and yeah and again this is again because he's spending all his money on paint rather than food he is known to have been have eaten paint again do not do that it's a very bad idea so all that's happening just a lovely mess of a man at this time point in time and Later in 1888, his friend Gagan uh, joins him, but it does not go well even remotely because Van Gogh's temperament and just the way he acted at this point made him very difficult to live with, a very difficult companion to be around. And they would have like these all night long discussions and they'd paint all day and that's not really again you're breathing all these paint fumes in addition to eating the paint occasionally like vincent does for some reason so just makes it really bad for the health and in near the very end of 1888 this disastrous year uh the incident that left that led gagan to leave arles and van gogh was that van gogh pursued him with a razor um, was stopped by Gugan, and then he ended up cutting off a portion of his own earlobe. Not the whole ear, a portion of his earlobe, let's be clear. And yeah, it was because he was, for some reason, like following Gugan with this razor, which is just alarming on many, many different levels. So that happened. And then a while later, he goes out into the town, meets up with this woman, and has blood pouring from his hand. He gives her this piece of his ear and asks her to keep this object carefully. So that's just alarming. Like, imagine having a random person come find you and then give you get that. Yeah. So many alarming. Um, And then the police come for him the next morning, find him in his room, and he is admitted to the Hotel Dio Hospital. So, yeah. Can't really... Go after your friend with a razor, cut your ear off, give it to someone, and not have the police come looking for you, which is good. Uh, Should have the police come looking for you in that case. So, yeah, that is the ear story about how part of his ear got got cut off, not his entire ear, as some people believe. 
and it was not cut off and he did not send it to someone that like a woman he loved or anything. He just had went into town and ran to this woman and then gave it to her. Like, I'm not entirely sure if he knew her beforehand or not, but either way, it's alarming. Either way, it that has to have been a traumatic day for that woman. So, yeah, that is the ear incident. <laughs> His brother, Theo, arrived on Christmas Day of... 1888 to see his brother Vincent who was weak from blood loss and was having seizures um where he was and so he's like oh oh my god my brother my brother um the doctors assured Theo that his brother would live um and that he would be taken good care of here in the hospital and on January 7th of 1889 Van Gogh was released from the hospital um so but at this point, he's alone, he's still horrifically depressed, and he's just doesn't have a whole lot to really rely on or make him feel better. So he turns to painting and to nature to try and make himself feel better, but that doesn't really work out very well, and he is hospitalized again after being released from the hospital. He still had that little yellow house that he was living at, so he would paint there during the day, and then he'd go back to the hospital at night so they could watch him and make sure he was all right and everything. So, But then it's kind of really sad because the people of the town that he was staying in signed a petition saying that Vincent Van Gogh was dangerous, and they basically kind of forced him into moving, which is really, really sad. And think about it. I mean, it really, yes, he probably was dangerous considering earlier he was running around after his friend with a razor. But still, I mean, he's mentally not well. So that just seems and he was just really unhappy. So really sad. But he moves to the St. Paul de Mausolée asylum in saint Rémy de province then he goes off to this other asylum in another part of france because he was basically kicked out of the other town that he was staying in because of his habits of running around and cutting his ear off uh or part of his ear off not his whole ear must remember that and on may 8th of 1889 he begins painting in the hospital gardens at this new place he is at so then um Several months go by, and in November of 1889, he is invited to exhibit his paintings in Brussels, which is really, which is really nice, I think. So, um, yeah, so things are looking up a little bit, and he sends six paintings to this exhibition, including Irises and Starry Night, which is his most famous work and also my personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> I really love Starry Night. I have several different things that have Starry Night on it because that's how much I love Starry Night. But, and Van Gogh's finest works were produced in this less than three years near the end of his life um, in this technique that grows more passionate with in terms of the brush strokes when you look at it, very swirling, very very textural, you can touch it and I mean you shouldn't, you can't actually touch it but it looks like if you touched it it would be bumpy, I don't know, I've not touched his painting, you're not allowed to do that so, but very passionate brush stroke, um, intense in color, very very beautiful, very much movements of form and line which, which Starry Night is an excellent example of it because if you look at it you can see like, you imagine like the sky like rippling and the clouds swirling and everything like that so very much like that 
which is really, really cool. So that's kind of his signature style is this kind of very intense dark and light and all these brush strokes and this really intense movement and textural form of his artwork. So, and it's a very powerful to look at. It's very imaginative, it's emotional, and it can be seen how absorbed in making this and how passionate he was about it to see this like way he expresses himself through his paintings. So it's really interesting to see his expressions of nature and man and stuff like that through this. So it is getting very near that it's that time of the show where I have to talk about the death of the person in question and I'm always sad when I have to do it but I'm gonna start off at the beginning of 1890 uh, on January 31st Theo and Theo is Vincent Van Gogh's brother and his wife Joanna gave birth to a boy and they named him Vincent after Theo's brother Van Gogh obviously and then also during this time Theo sold one of Van Gogh's paintings the Red Vineyards for 400 francs so that's great and then Dr. Paul Gachet, um, who lived in a nearby town about 20 miles north of Paris, agreed to take Van Gogh on as a patient. So Van Gogh moves up to this town and rents a room to be close to his doctor here in May of eight, about around May of 1890. So Van Gogh basically becomes very upset uh, because there's a disagreement with Theo about finances and everything. So Van Gogh becomes very upset about the idea of his future because he thinks that his brother doesn't want to be involved in selling his art or anything like that anymore. So it it just gets really, really bad. So he's just very, very upset this time because he's been going on a downward spiral for quite a long time now. So this is headed towards the inevitable at this point. On July 27th of 1890, he goes out to paint in the morning like he usually does, but this time he brings a loaded pistol with him. He shot himself in the chest, but it didn't actually kill him initially. He was found bleeding later and he was taken to a nearby hospital and his brother was sent for and he comes and they spend the next couple of days talking together because again this van gogh does not die immediately and then he van gogh wants to go home with his brother but he can't do that and on july 29th of 1890 he dies in the arms of his younger brother theo when he was at, at the age of 37 story doesn't entirely end there with the death of Van Gogh like it so often does for other artists I talk about but because Theo is sick himself and then he's weakened by his brother's death and he dies six months later um, and then years and years he's buried in a separate burial but then years and years later in 1914 his widow Joanna um, had Theo's body moved and buried in the cemetery next to Vincent so they are together they're together now so they're they are buried next to each other and then Joanna herself um, had a 
big thing to do with uh, Van Gogh's work becoming more popularized later on because she went about and collected as many of his paintings as she could, discovered that quite a lot of them had actually been destroyed or lost, and Van Gogh's actual mother had thrown away a lot of his art, so who even knows what happened to that? So, But she found what she could, and on March 17, 1901, 70, 71 of his paintings were displayed at a show in Paris, and then his fame is just keeps growing from there and he's hailed as a genius and one of the greatest Dutch painters ever and in the over the course of his lifetime he completed more than 2,100 works um, including 860 oil paintings and more than 1,300 watercolors drawings and sketches. There you have it a general overview of Vincent van Gogh's life and some fun facts you might not have known before. Thank you so much for listening. I am Natalie, and this has been Fact and Fiction. Don't forget to hit subscribe to hear more episodes and more interesting history as well. You can check out the podcast on our website, kcsufm.com. <laughs>